The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I'm honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Reed Mangles. She is a fellow registered dietitian and nutrition advisor for the National Nonprofit Vegetarian Resource Group and the nutrition editor and columnist for Vegetarian Journal. She is the co-author of Simply Vegan, The Dietitian's Guide to Vegetarian Diets, and The Everything Vegan Pregnancy Book. She's also the author of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics position paper on vegetarian nutrition. She is a faculty member of the Department of Nutrition at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, and we had a chance to meet at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Nashville just this past fall, and I thought you would make a wonderful guest, so welcome, Dr. Mangles. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I think it's really important for us to talk about diets that are sustainable, that are in line with changes that are happening with our climate in diets that are protective of our public health as well as the planet. And I thought the vegetarian diet fell nicely under that umbrella. So I want to know about how you came to be an expert in this area. So tell me a little bit about your personal exploration with vegetarian diets. How long have you been a vegetarian? Well, it all started back in the mid-1970s when I was a nutrition major at Florida State University, and I picked up a popular book called Diet for a Small Planet, which explained how our food choices affect world hunger issues, which were very much in the news at the time. And I thought, you know, I'll try this for a week and see how it goes. This was a lacto-ovo vegetarian diet, and... I really liked it. I tried it for a week. I said, hmm, I'm feeling good. I'm eating healthy. I think I'll try it longer. So I followed a primarily vegetarian diet for many years, eventually deciding to become first completely vegetarian, not you know eliminating fish or anything like that, and then eventually, oh, probably 26 or 27 years ago, becoming vegan, and fortunately, met someone who was also vegetarian, we got married, we raised our two children as vegans as well. Wow. Well, that's always one of the problems that people seem to face is when there is a couple or a family where one person in the family wants to eat differently from another, and it creates a little bit of a problem in terms of having a happy family dinner where you've always got you know one person that has special needs. So you really lucked out there. I did get lucky. Yes, I did. And I I think having talked to people over the years who are in so-called mixed marriages, (laughs) people figure out their own comfort level where maybe there's no meat in the house, but you can eat whatever you want when you go out to eat, or the person who's vegetarian says, you know, I'm not making meat. If you want meat, you make it yourself. Or there certainly are people who just say, I eat the way I eat. I make food for my family, which is different from the way I eat. Right. There's lots of people figure it out. 
Yeah. Well, why don't we start by explaining, I think we both, being that we're dietitians, we maybe take for granted that we know what we're talking about, but maybe we should explain a little bit about what is a vegetarian diet. That's a great idea. The dictionary definition of a vegetarian diet is a way of eating that does not include meat, fish, or poultry. So it would exclude all of those red meat, white meat, fish, seafood, chicken, turkey, and so forth. And then under that umbrella of vegetarianism, there's different subsets. So there's a lacto-ovo-vegetarian diet, which excludes all meat, but includes lacto-products, so like lactose um, dairy products and eggs. And then there's a lacto-vegetarian diet, which has no eggs, but does include dairy products. And then there's a vegan diet, which includes no animal products at all. So no meat, no fish, no chicken, no dairy, and no eggs. Now, you are a vegan, correct? I am, yeah. What are the biggest challenges for you in following that diet? You know, I've been doing it for so long that I really don't find it challenging, which is, I feel very fortunate about that. I think in terms of finding food, and I can, I'm a good eater, I can always find food. I think my biggest challenge has been visiting my family in Florida where there's so many seafood restaurants and I can do fine at a meat-centric restaurant because there's usually a good salad, potatoes, and things like that. But for some reason, seafood restaurants, it's fish and french fries and coleslaw. And so those can be challenging to find. I usually end up getting a salad and uh, you know, getting something else to eat after the meal. Right. Okay, so you started out being a vegetarian, so I'm assuming you included some milk and eggs. Yes. And then you went to a vegan diet, and I'm wondering why you made that switch. Well, at that point, I was friends with a number of people who were already following a vegan diet. So from the standpoint of socializing, it was just easier to eat mainly vegan. My husband was lactose intolerant, so we weren't buying a lot of dairy products because he he would get a stomachache if he drank milk or ate a lot of ice cream or anything like that. And I've got a family history of high cholesterol, so I thought, why am I eating all these eggs? So with all those things together, we just sort of one day said to each other, you know, we could do without milk and eggs pretty easily. You know, he said, you can cook. I said, yes, I know how to cook. It's not a problem. So it it just became a natural evolution, plus there was a philosophical sense of not harming animals in any way, and I think that certainly much of the dairy and eggs that are sold in supermarkets in this country have some cruelty associated with them. So I'm trying not to be judgmental of anyone else's choices, but for us it didn't feel like the right thing to do. Right, and I'm sure you've seen studies looking at why people become vegetarian. Is it mostly for health Is it mostly because people do have these philosophical concerns? What is the biggest driver? It's divided pretty evenly. Health, animal rights or animal welfare, and the environment has become increasingly a reason why. And then, of course, there are other, there's religious practices, there's just dislike of these products, there's economic reasons, but the big three are health, the environment, and ethical issues. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was so glad to see Johns Hopkins University start. Well, I think they've been a supporter. They may not have initiated it, but they are the supporter of the Meatless Mondays. And what a nice way to gradually get a person to explore vegetarianism. I think it's terrific. Absolutely. It's making it more, really more mainstream. Right. And even schools, I think, some schools have gone along with that program so that one day a week children can explore what it's like to have a vegetarian meal. Absolutely. Schools are doing it. Colleges, universities are doing it. Yeah. Sometimes what I see people do, and you probably have seen this as well, they'll go to McDonald's or they'll go to a fast food restaurant and they think a vegetarian diet is you just, you can order everything but the hamburger. And I think that there are health components of eating well as a vegetarian. It's not just skipping the burger and eating the fries. How do you explain to people what are the components of a healthy vegetarian diet? Well, I tend to like to use a tool, and this would be for a vegan diet, that could easily be modified for someone eating dairy and eggs. The Vegetarian Resource Group developed a my plate, a vegan my plate. So they took the USDA's design of my plate and made it into a vegan my plate. So the four parts of the plate are fruits, vegetables, grains, and for lack of a better name, protein, which could all, which is kind of misleading because other foods like grains and vegetables also have protein. But in the protein group would be beans, nuts, soy products. So those would each be parts of a good diet. And then the fifth part, which is represented with a glass, is some kind of calcium, foods that would be high in calcium, so fortified soy or other plant milks. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, it's a visual people get. They get the idea that these are the foods that go on their plates. And just going to McDonald's and buying French fries and having a Coke doesn't really fit that well. Right. I was doing an interview with an individual who was talking about the idea of having photographs mm-hmm. of what different meals look like. And it's sort of taking the my plate concept to a photographic level where, yeah, I understand fruits, grains, vegetables, protein, but what does that look like in terms of what am I going to have on my dining room table? I think that's a wonderful idea. And I think that if that was to be done, for many vegetarian or vegan meals, we wouldn't have discrete piles, for lack of a better word, piles of food on the plate because so much of vegetarian and vegan cuisine is combinations of things, mixed dishes, using ethnic cuisines. So you might have, trying to think of something I've made this week, I had really hearty black bean, brown rice, kale soup, So I've got three of the four components of my plate right there and then with the food on the side. So I'd love to get that idea of mixed dishes across. And I think that the photograph idea is a wonderful way to do that. I love that. And everybody's got a camera these days, so it becomes Mm -hmm. so much easier to show people what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And getting people back into the kitchen. I was on the press call for the dietary guidelines, the new, well, the 2015 guideline released in January of 2016, but there was a lot of debate about what was going to be included or not. 
And when we were talking before we got on air, you told me that there is a good section in the Dietary Guidelines promoting vegetarian diets. Yeah, it's really exciting, and I, I can just read a quick excerpt. They say the U.S. population consumes many different styles of eating patterns other than the typical American pattern. And it says there are many ways to consume a healthy eating pattern, and the two that they're talking about throughout the dietary guidelines are a healthy Mediterranean-style eating pattern and healthy vegetarian eating pattern. So these are the big three. They're pushing a typical American pattern, more meat, vegetables, potatoes, but healthy, a Mediterranean pattern, and then a vegetarian pattern. Those are the big three that are the focus of this dietary guidelines. And they go on to provide vegetarian eating patterns at 12 different calorie levels, and they can be easily adapted to be either lacto-ovo or vegan eating patterns. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. I agree, especially because there was so much food industry pressure before these guidelines were released. So there was pressure about, you know, how are we going to talk about sustainability? Is that going to be an option even to link that to how we eat? Of course, most of us would agree that sustainability should be in there and emphasized, but there was a loophole that took that emphasis out. But the fact that they have recognized the importance and the value of vegetarian diets in maintaining a healthy lifestyle, I think, is one way to address the sustainability issue without necessarily using the S word. So I was glad to see that. Exactly. And I think that it also goes back to what you were talking about with the Meatless Monday concept, that even if you don't eat this healthy vegetarian pattern seven days a week, there's the resources there to do this one day a week or two days a week or however many days you want to do it, that it's recognized as being just as healthful, I would say more healthful, but dietary guidelines says just as healthful as couple of other dietary patterns. So it gives people a lot of options, really. Is that new terminology, or have they always said that? This is the second dietary guideline that has included a healthy vegetarian eating pattern. The 2010 dietary guidelines also included it. They've modified somewhat how many servings of which foods you need. Mm -hmm. it's, It's very similar. Well, that's good to know. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are joined by Dr. Reed Mangles. She is a faculty member of the Department of Nutrition at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. She is a fellow registered dietitian, and she is a national expert on vegetarian diets. One of the areas, Dr. Mangles, that I think people get a little concerned about has to do with protein. How can we possibly get enough protein? And maybe you've even met with people who are bodybuilders who are wondering, how can I possibly get enough protein to have a workout? What do you tell people who question whether or not we can get enough protein on a vegetarian diet? Well, depending on who I'm talking to, I have a couple of different things that I tell them. For the average person, I say, let's do the math. This is how much protein you need. And we look at some, do some numbers. I'm a dietitian. I do numbers. And we add things up and find out they're getting plenty, plenty of protein. And we can look at a vegetarian diet and see exactly how to do that. So by focusing on foods that are good sources of protein, and that would be foods like beans, whole grains, dairy products and eggs, if that's a part of the way you eat, nuts and seeds, 
and eating enough food to maintain your weight, you're probably going to get enough protein without having to worry about it at all. For the bodybuilders or someone who's concerned about that, there are actually vegan bodybuilders out there. So we look at some pictures and say, this is what a vegan who has only plant sources of protein, this is what they look like. They win competitions. They do well. And then you, again, talk about good sources of protein and how you get those on a vegetarian diet. So it's it's really a non-issue, I would have to say. Yeah. Well, that's certainly one of the biggest questions that I get from people who they may not want to be 100% vegetarian, but even people who want to switch to having maybe a few meals a week, they're concerned about protein intake. Do you find the same thing? I do hear it from new people who are exploring it. I think once people do a little bit of reading in the field, go to Vegetarian Resource Group's website, read some of the, the resources we have there about how much protein is in different foods, how much protein people really need, I think they stop worrying about it. They realize that they're not developing a protein deficiency. We don't see protein deficiencies in the United States unless it's someone who's unable to eat a lot of food because of illness or who has an eating disorder. It's really much, I think it's it's much less a concern than people make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we jump into an area that we both love, and that is how diet affects health. And I'm sure you have scoured the literature looking at populations that are meat eaters versus non-meat eaters, vegetarians, different kinds of vegetarians and what their health outcomes are. And of course, I think some of the most prominent studies have to do with the Seventh-day Adventists and individuals who follow these kinds of diets for long term. And then I think Colin Campbell at Cornell also has looked at vegetarian diets. Can you give us a summary of some of the health benefits that seem to consistently rise to the top? I think one benefit that consistently shows up is a lower risk of developing or dying from heart disease. That shows up in the United States. It shows up in some really good studies in the United Kingdom, in Germany, in other countries. So that seems to be very consistent, the heart disease link. There are some studies suggesting that vegetarians have a lower risk of dying overall, so they live longer and healthier lives. Cancer gets a little more complicated. Some studies suggest that there's a lower risk of colon cancer or colorectal cancer, probably because of lower meat consumption, but those studies are not quite as consistent. There's some very nice studies looking at what happens to people's blood pressure when they go on a vegetarian diet. Generally, it goes down in people with high blood pressure. It's a way to control their high blood pressure without having to use medications. Type 2 diabetes can be treated with a vegetarian diet. Vegetarians tend to have a lower weight, so they're less likely to be overweight or obese. And there also have been several nice studies treating people who need to lose weight with a vegetarian or a vegan diet and showing that they do, it is a diet that someone can lose reasonable amounts of weight on. So those are the big ones. Mm -hmm. I personally love the Vegetarian Resource Group resources, and I especially like you've got a book for when you're traveling, when you're eating out. And so it's a travel and, and restaurant guide. And I know that when that's I'm all on, on, That's all online now. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can, you know, up to the minute, it's much more easy to update than when it was a hard a paper version. So it's on our website. You can click, you can select the state you're traveling to and then look at find vegetarian restaurants there. So we should give our listeners the web link, which is www.vrg.org. And there are answers to frequently asked questions as well as access to these great resources. Well, my copy is rather well-worn, I would say, from spending many hours in the car. And as I explained earlier to our listeners, I am an omnivore. I do eat meat. I'm very careful about the meat that I eat, wanting to make sure that it comes from an animal that does not come from a confined animal feeding operation, that doesn't eat genetically engineered grains, that doesn't receive antibiotics or hormones, which limits the amount of meat that I do eat. But when I'm on the road, it is very helpful to have this resource guide because invariably the restaurants selected take me to restaurants that have what you might call clean food or food that is many times farm-to-table restaurants, places where I know that I can get a more healthful meal than if I just pull off the highway and stop at a generic kind of restaurant. Great. I'm glad it's been helpful. I also find it very useful for traveling. Yeah, I mean, it it takes you to co-ops, too. They're listed as well, so you can buy groceries to fill a cooler if you're driving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very helpful. Okay, I've been asking the question, so I want to turn it over to you in the final few minutes that we have. And I want to just give you a chance to share with our listeners anything that you want them to take away about a vegetarian diet. All right. Well, thank you for that that platform. I think I'm going to talk about an area that I'm especially interested in, which is life cycle issues, Mm. Um, pregnancy, breastfeeding, infants, and children. And I think I'd like to talk about that because people will say, oh, well, I'm an adult. I can be vegetarian, but I'm not so sure about children. And I just wanted to reassure your listeners that vegetarian diets are very health-supporting for all ages of the population. And this was something important that we included in the position statement for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics was that there is evidence that you can be pregnant and be vegetarian or vegan. You can be a 2-year-old or a 6-year-old or a 15-year-old and be vegetarian or vegan and be healthy doing it. You have to be aware of what you're eating, but I think that you always want to be aware of what you're eating, whether you're vegetarian or a conscientious omnivore. You need to think about food, and I just wanted to get that message across to your listeners. Yeah. I know that parents do have concerns, mostly when I've heard from them, it's when they have a teenager who suddenly says, okay, I'm going to change my diet, I want to be a vegetarian, and because the family has not been eating that way, they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So that, that can be challenging, but teenagers are, they're open. They're willing to try new food. They're willing to learn how to cook. If you put it on them, if you make a condition of being vegetarian or vegan, is that they have to figure out the food and they have to show you that they know what they're doing. Right. You've got a little bit of a, you know, of a bargaining power there as a parent. Yeah. And I think it's really important for children to know how to cook. I know when my children were growing up, I explained it this way. I said, 
Cooking, learning to cook, and learning how to feed yourself is a lot like learning how to swim. It's a survival skill. And if you don't know how to do it yourself, nobody else is going to do it as well for you. So it's part of being independent. And I think as we look at some of the data now showing that if you want to be well, if you want to be more healthy, the way to do it is to cook more of your own foods, whether they're vegetarian or not. Absolutely. That keeps you from having to buy processed and convenient foods that often are expensive, have strange ingredients, tend to be high in sodium and trans fats and all the things we'd rather people didn't eat. And if you know how to make it yourself, it can be quick, it can be easy, and it can be really healthy and taste good, too. Of course, taste good. Do you have favorite vegetarian cookbooks? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How long do you have to I know. I sh- that's, that's an unfair question to ask another dietitian, right? This is, I have a rotate, I have one shelf in my kitchen and I rotate cookbooks off of it. Um, one of my very favorites are any cookbooks by Issa Chandler Moskowitz, who um, I'm blanking on the name of any of, oh, Vegan with a Vengeance is one of hers. Wonderful, creative foods that use She really focuses on whole foods. Another, I can't tell you cookbooks, I can tell you authors. Nava Atlas is another wonderful cookbook author. Her foods are things like vegetarian meals for the whole family or the healthy family, something like that. I love anything my co-author, Deborah Wasserman with Vegetarian Resource Group does. She's written Simply Vegan and some other vegan cookbooks that are really, really great. And I know, oh, Robin Robertson, what is hers? Um, the It's vegan on a budget or something like that. And I don't use it because it's inexpensive. I use it because it's really hearty, good food. Mm-hmm. So those are some, some of them. Yeah. I remember, since you mentioned Diet for a Small Planet, I, of course, I've you and I have both been dietitians for about the same time. And we were both introduced to Diet for a Small Planet. And it is amazing how many people say to this day, that their lives were changed by that book. And I remember probably in our early married years, we were probably both cooking out of the books that came out of Ithaca, New York, the Molly Cassidy, the the Moosewood books, right? They're wonderful. I still use those too. Yes, me too. And Deborah Madison's vegetarian cookbook is also Mm -hmm. excellent. Yes, I would agree with that, yes. Well, I think you raise a really good point, Dr. Mangles, and that has to do with no matter which way we cook, whether we're omnivores, whether we're vegetarians, it's going more towards a whole foods diet. And I think the problem that we can run into, regardless of what dietary pattern we take, is this over-dependence on processed foods. And I'm sure even within the vegetarian scope, a person could eat a highly processed diet even though they're vegetarian. You could, and these days there are certainly a lot of processed foods that uh, cater, I guess, to the vegetarian audience with frozen dinners and soups. Many of them tend to be simpler, that their ingredient list is quite understandable. Um, it's just they are convenience foods, but and they, they're helpful. If you're busy, it's really easy to make some of these foods, or if you're traveling, they're very handy, but... I don't really encourage using those as just like the foundation for your diet. Go out. Go to the farmer's market. Buy some real food. Right. Exactly. Well, our time has has evaporated as I knew it would. 
But I want to thank you so much, Dr. Mangles, for being my guest. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And I want to refer our listeners one more time to this excellent website. It's by the Vegetarian Resource Group, and it's www.vrg.org. You can get a lot of your questions answered. You can find resources to help you. And then, of course, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics also has a website where you can read more about vegetarian nutrition. Thank you again, Dr. Mangle. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. 